0: Well, good morning, sisters and brothers. Good morning. Uh, I deeply appreciate and I love being here. Um, I really appreciate my friendship with Father Stephen. He has taught me many things over the last few years. I often wish we could have more time so I could pick his brain on everything, his magnificent brain. <laughs> uh, it, it is wonderful to be with you again. I, I want to extend a deep uh, thanks that you would open up your space that you would open up your home for us to worship in as well. It's a tremendous blessing for a church plant like ours. So thank you very much. By show of hands, I'd like to ask you guys, how many of you make your bed every morning? Some of the young people are like, uh, you know, there's a social a social pressure. Um, years ago, I came across this video with hundreds of thousands of views. It probably has millions of views by this point. And I scrolled down to the bottom of the YouTube comments. Now, this is not for the faint of heart. I don't recommend scrolling to the YouTube comments as a general practice. Uh, But some of these comments said things like, this is one of the most inspirational teachings I've ever heard. Other comments said, I show this video to my grandchildren every day. And it was a video of a Navy SEAL admiral talking about the importance of making your bed. You see, every morning, their commanding officer would come into the barracks, and they would inspect each person's bed. And if the bed was made correctly, the corners would be square, the sheets would be tightly pulled, the pillow would be centered under the headrest, and there would be this extra blanket folded neatly on the side. Now, it was a mundane task, but every day, without fail, the commanding officer would inspect the bed. Now, you might ask, what could this possibly do to help train the most hardened, uh, battled warriors in the world? How can this train them to endure the toughest trials that life has to offer? And he argued that if you were to make your bed every day with excellence, that would snowball into all the other acts of your day, that you would do all these greater acts with excellence. And this little act of discipline would lead to greater acts of discipline as you go through life. Make your bed and change the world, is what he argued. Now this is Paul's final and most personal letter. He's in prison and things are not going well. He doesn't have much time left. Paul doesn't have wife or children. But he loves Timothy with such a deep affection that he would say, you call him my son or my child. And he says in verse 2, you then, my son, see that affection. I don't know about you. I don't I don't call people my son unless they are my son. Um, Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then he gives them three pictures of discipline. Three pictures of discipline. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs but rather tries to please his commanding officer. See, Paul is using this illustration of a Roman soldier, something everyone would have been familiar with. A Roman soldier dutifully follows the orders of their commanding officer. And Roman soldiers were not known for their compassion or their kindness. But you see, soldiers of Jesus are under completely different orders. Soldiers of Jesus love their enemies. Soldiers of Jesus serve without an expectation to be served. They please their king by being like him. We'll come back to this. The second picture of discipline is in verse 5. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. To win the crown, you have to compete according to the rules. In a race, you can't cut corners. I recently learned of a story of a woman named Rosie Ruiz. And in 1980, she shocked the world by demolishing the female world record for the Boston Marathon with a time of 2 hours and 31 seconds. She was awarded the winner's wreath. She was awarded all the top honors. But there was a problem. You see, at the end of her race, she didn't seem very tired. She couldn't recall her route. The television crews, the photographers, the witnesses, none of them recalled seeing her in the race. And... Quickly enough, she was stripped of her title and stripped of the winner's wreath. Theories suggest that she was trying to impress her colleagues by finishing in the middle of the pack of the Boston Marathon. But her taxi must have gotten there early, and she finished far before every other competitor. And now she's a comedic anecdote in sports history. See, people can't help but look for shortcuts, don't we? How to get rock-hard abs in just two minutes a day Some early Christians were responding to the gospel with this idea, like, hey, grace is so wonderful. Should we keep sinning so that grace could increase? And the Apostle Paul says, no, may it never be. We died to sin. How can we continue to live in it any longer? And Paul is saying that here, too. There are no shortcuts when it comes to following Jesus Christ. And here's the third picture. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. My wife, Shelley. she grew up in a really small town in New Brunswick called Jacksonville. It's a place where you have to drive to your neighbor's home. And she has many farmer farming friends. And she has given me a lot of insight into how hard farmers work. You see, Paul uses that qualifying word here, hardworking, a hardworking farmer. He or she works around the clock to ensure the productivity, the efficiency of the farm. So when I go to New Brunswick as a city boy, it's hard for me to make small talk with farmers in New Brunswick. I'll say something like, hey, what Netflix show are you watching? To which they'll say, what's Netflix? Each one of these metaphors, the, the good soldier, the winning athlete, the hardworking farmer, This communicates an idea of total commitment, total surrender to something beyond themselves, as Father Stephen preached about last week. There's this surrender to something much larger than themselves. There's this singular focus a faithfulness to even the seemingly mundane disciplines of every day with the greater goal of honoring your commanding officer. Dallas Willard, an author I really enjoy, he says this, Quote, "Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. And quote "Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. So when Paul says to be a good soldier of Christ Jesus, there is a discipline there. There is effort. What would these seemingly mundane practices look like, like making your bed, right? What would those seemingly mundane practices look like? Perhaps for you it's listening to God. It's reading the scriptures each day. It's reading the daily office lectionary. It's communal worship. It's prayer. It's acts of generosity. Sacraments. These are making our bed in our spiritual formation. These practices, even in the mundane regularity of it, open our awareness to Christ. And if done consistently, and if done well, they truly transform us more and more into Christ's likeness The admiral closed his speech with, if by chance you've had a miserable day, you will come home to a bed that is made. And a made bed gives you encouragement that tomorrow will be better. See, my wife, I watched this video years ago, and now my wife prefers it when I make the bed because the corners are square, the sheets are pulled tight, and she says it's like waking up every day wrapped in a tight burrito. So Paul says make yourself strong in Christ Jesus, in the grace of Christ Jesus. So if you've had a particularly miserable day, you can always find yourself at home in the grace of Christ Jesus. In Christ you can find your identity, your deep-rooted joy, your strength to carry on to the next day. You can find in him grace upon grace upon grace. And there is a lot of wisdom in making your bed every day. I get that. But I find a lot more encouragement and comfort coming home to the grace of Christ Jesus every day. And when you have a particularly bad day, you can rest in that grace, knowing that there's hope for the future. So from what areas of life do you find your identity? Where do you draw your strength from? Where do you draw your joy from? I would argue you can draw that far more from the grace of Jesus than a made bed. And if you can make your home in Christ Jesus, how does that overflow into every other aspect of your life? And that's where Paul shifts. He talks about discipline, determination. And then he says there's true freedom in the gospel. In verse 8, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. There's a comedian, I, I enjoy, his name is Pete Holmes, and he says this, and this quote caught me, it impacted me. He said, quote, If you are not happy on the plane, you won't be happy in Hawaii. And quote. If you are not happy on the plane, you won't be happy in Hawaii. In other words, Hawaii does not fix your circumstances. Hawaii does not fix your character. It doesn't fix your posture. It doesn't fix your discontentment in life. Your discontentment in life it follows you on vacation. Hawaii doesn't offer the freedom that it promises. Another comedian. I I I listen to a lot of comedians. Jim Carrey says, quote, I wish everybody could get rich and famous in everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. End quote. See, if you love money, she ends up laughing at you when she, you discover that she doesn't deliver everything she promises. Now, don't get me wrong. If you do have a timeshare in Hawaii, Father Stephen and I won't turn that down. But ultimately, Hawaii does not address the root of everything, right? The gospel that Paul suffers for, that gospel announces that Jesus Christ is king. And in the letter before this one, Paul actually says to Timothy, if you put your hope in Christ, you can grab hold of the life that is truly life. You can grab hold of the life that is truly life. When you grab hold and put your hope in Jesus Christ, this is the hope that Paul rooted himself in. This is why Paul was never overwhelmed by his circumstances. When you look at Paul all through the Gospels, if he's shipwrecked, if he's if he's if he's threatened with death, Paul will say, "To die is gain," right? When they say, "Fine, fine, fine, we'll let you live," he says, "Well, to live is Christ," right? If he's beaten or if he's shipwrecked, if he's stoned, he'll say, "Well." I get to share in the sufferings of Christ. This is great. Right? And then they imprison him. And he'll say, I'll convert all your guards then. Right? The gospel cannot change. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, circumstances, no matter what circumstances, Paul was never robbed of his joy. His joy was not dependent on his circumstances. His joy was rooted in who Christ Jesus is and what he's done for us. There's this iconic scene, I, I think you're all familiar with The Avengers. Now, this is from a movie about ten years ago, so this isn't a spoiler or anything like that. But there's this enemy dragon thing, it's really large. It's heading towards the Avengers. And you have this character named Dr. Banner, who's also known as the Incredible Hulk, right? And Dr. Banner can become the incredible Hulk when he gets angry. And they're building up this this, this movie, and and Dr. Banner was wrestling, he couldn't get angry. He couldn't get the Hulk uh, on command, and so he struggled to get angry and to, to turn into the Hulk. And as this large dragon is approaching, Captain America turns to him and says, um, Dr. Banner, now might be a good time for you to get angry. And Dr. Banner faces off against the dragon. He looks back for a moment, and he says, that's my secret, Captain. I'm always angry. And he turns into the Hulk And he hulk smashes that dragon. I've I've, I've goosebumps every time I tell this. So I'm picturing the scene. You see, Paul also had a secret. Dr. Banner had a secret, but Paul had a secret. And he says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul had a secret. His secret was contentment. He was rooted in the gospel, in everything that God is, who he is. So in what ways does true contentment in your life radically affect day-to-day life? What does true gospel freedom look like in regards to your circumstances, related to health, related to finances, related to relationships? Many of us are blessed with people in our lives who face incredibly difficult situations, even death, terminal death, and they still have this deep-rooted joy because their joy can never be stolen from them because it's in heaven. It's in Jesus. What can that contentment look like in your life to your neighbors, to your colleagues? Lastly, we have freedom to pursue the kingdom wholeheartedly. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You see, Paul's not fixated on this present age. He has his hope in the age to come. You get the sense that he's someone that could, would do whatever it takes to glorify God, to make much of Jesus, that his kingdom would be in Ottawa as it is in heaven. You see, because his hope was grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's his foundation of hope. And he puts it in this beautiful, he, he says this beautiful poem. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we died with him, we will also live with him. Because of God's great love for us, he sent Jesus Christ who died on the cross. And he opened up this new world because of his death and resurrection. So if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. For sisters and brothers who take that risk of following and entrusting Jesus with their very lives, with everything, God promises victory. God promises that you will be more than conquerors. What if we sought to live our lives enduring and faithful to the gospel? If we disown him, he will also disown us. So for those who choose to reject Jesus, though he relentlessly pursues us, we choose to run and live separately from him. God doesn't go against our consent. God honors our choice. He honors our free will. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. God cannot abandon his faithfulness because it's integral to who he is. It's integral to his character. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Because the gospel is true freedom, we're released to pursue the kingdom wholeheartedly, to do our best to present ourselves as, as, to God as one approved, So if we return to the earlier image of a soldier, a soldier spared from a civilian affairs, a soldier doesn't concern themselves. And in the Greek, this means literally the affairs of this life. Soldier does not concern themselves with the affairs of this life. So does that mean that as faithful followers of Jesus, we should all, you know, quit our jobs, stop paying taxes, stop paying our bills? You know, some people are, yeah. (laughs) No, that doesn't mean those things but it means that those things are no longer our greatest priority. Those things are no longer our greatest pursuit. Freedom in Christ allows us to work in all these beautiful professions that God has equipped you. And you can honor him and you can make much of him in your workplace, in your profession, through excellence. But it also frees you to be generous with the worldly goods that God has given you. It frees you to be faithful stewards of your abilities, your giftings, and your resources. I'm part of a organization called C2C, and their passion is to plant churches all across Canada. And our executive director, his name was Gord Fleming, and he had to recently step down because his wife has Huntington's disease. And uh, he would, you know, he was on fire. He was so on fire planting churches across Canada. And this was his passion. And so many well-meaning sisters and brothers would say to him, like, I'm so sorry that you have to step down and do this. And he would correct them. And he would say, brothers and sisters, I don't have to do this. I get to do this. I get to love my bride. I get to cherish her. I get to be by her side. I get to enjoy this journey with her. And 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 that's touching in itself. But... I was impacted by the statement because what if we were to say that about everything in our lives? You know, you wake up, you'll wake up Tuesday morning, tomorrow's off, I hope for most of you. You'll wake up Tuesday morning and you are like, oh, i got to go to work. I mean, I have to go to work. What if you said, you wake up Tuesday morning and you say, I get to go to work. I get to go to work. Because there are many people who don't get to go to work. Many people who don't have a job. And so we get to start our days with gratitude that I have this privilege that God has blessed me with this job I get to go to. Your kids are being particularly difficult. I have to preach to myself on this one. And you get to say, I get to spend time with my children. Father, thank you for these people in which you've entrusted to me. That I get to cherish them and teach them and guide them. What if we said that about everything, right? Well, I have to give to my World Vision or Compassion Child. I get to support. I have an overflow of resources, and I get to give back to people who don't have as much. What a privilege that is, right? Well, I have to give to our church. I get to support the work that God is doing in our neighborhood, in our city, in our world. That changes everything, right? What if every day you were going into each task that you felt like you have to do, and you say you get to do it? You have the resources, the strength, the ability, the mind, the capability to help, to serve, to volunteer, to give, to be generous. It's amazing how that shift happens. In our liturgy each week, for offering, we we read that verse where it says, God loves a cheerful giver. And when you are cheerful about something, that has to be the product of an outflow of a heart that is rooted in the joy of the gospel a heart that's been radically transformed by God. Right? What if we were to look at everything as that privilege? I get to be a part of what God is doing in the world. I get to worship with sisters and brothers this morning. I get to hear from the word of God. I get to bless others. Right? We leave church with the blessing so that you would be that blessing, that you would be his hands and his feet and his mouthpiece in the places where you live, in the places you work, in that marketplace and in your neighborhoods. What if we were to look at everything like that with that privilege that we get to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ, a winning athlete, a hard-working farmer, that we can be single, be focused, and pursue the kingdom wholeheartedly.